As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine and I'm joined now by Seb Stafford-Bloor. Hello Joe Devine, welcome back. Guten Tag and Alex Stewart. So nice to have an upbeat hello at the beginning of the podcast again. <laughs> really, you wow. can feel that energy coming from you. <laughs> exactly, yeah. It's like uh, that scene in Ghostbusters. Now, Gordon Tag here, Stafford Bloor. Uh, tell us about your German lessons. Are you learning much? Yeah, I'm having some difficulty with tenses, but I am practicing and I am having conversation with my father-in-law over the breakfast table and uh, we're getting, yeah, getting better, getting better. <laughs> You're a real linguist. And uh, Alex, uh, how's your new flat working out? Um, yeah, it's it's fine. Thank you. So glad I'm back. Uh, <laughs> right, today's episode uh, is about international football. I know, it fucking sucks, but we're going to talk about it anyway. Uh, we talk about England's team and uh, w- what's happening in the... Will they? Who's going to play in the Euros? Can they win the Euros? Maybe they can. <laughs> Who knows? We're going to talk about that for the first sort of 20 minutes. And then the last bit, we talk about something which has no answer or resolution, which is the Qatar World Cup and uh, human rights atrocities and uh, the Norway team uh, uh, demonstrating against that. So, you know, that's today's episode. And I'm, again, just delighted to be back. Thanks for downloading. I hope you enjoy uh, everything that we have to say today. Also, if you'd like to subscribe to The Athletic, you can currently get 40% off your subscription. So you should be going to do that by visiting theathletic.com forward slash TIFO uh, and uh, enjoying uh, everything that The Athletic has to offer, which is high quality with a capital H and Q. That's theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. Okay, uh, no more from me now until after this musical interlude, at which point there will be more of me. And also, Seb Staffordblore and Alex Stewart, we leave you now in the cool embrace and the warm hands of international football. Okay, Albania nil to England. Uh, the first note I have here is, who really cares? Seb, who who really cares? Apart from Harry Kane, who obviously cares. Certainly not me, Joe, because I took the dog for a walk in the middle of the second half. Sure. I just, I, I, 
at 2-0 it was over. I didn't feel like I was going to learn anything else from that game. And I just tapped out of international football for an hour. Sure. Yeah. I have since I just, watched the rest of the game. I I have I've completed the task. I just wow. not with any real enthusiasm or <laughs> you know. Yeah. I I was watching it and thinking I saw Harry Kane's goal and I thought, well, you know, that's a that's a good goal. He's really tried hard to score that goal and uh, then afterwards he was very pleased. And there was a moment where he was walking off after his teammates had finished celebrating with him. And you can see him sort of mouthing, yes, yes, to himself. And I remember thinking, you're you're very enthusiastic. Uh, and I think maybe you're the most enthusiastic person, perhaps apart from Gareth Southgate, in all of England after that's happened. Because, you know, who really cares? And then I started to think, isn't it quite, isn't it amazing that uh, the sort of the disconnect between non-tournament times and tournament times because I know that in June, I'm going to go crazy. I'm going to get all caught up in it and all excited. And uh, I'm going to really, really care. But until then, I you don't care at all. for the World Cup. I remember that. You, you turned up in like with a St. George's Cross. I mean, <laughs> no. that's a weird just flex night. Like, no, I just, didn't. No, you, you no, I chain didn't. Mail, like a, like yeah. <laughs> that's just to uh, protect myself from, uh, you know flagrant old roads of London yeah and verbal assaults uh but it's quite quite the thing is though really 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 got me thinking that did uh because the only other thing I could think of that is anything like that is a bit well two things maybe is like uh smoking and lung cancer is that you do it and knowing that you know lung cancer is a probable outcome uh, but it doesn't really mean anything until you get it right but also just death because you know it doesn't really matter unless it's happening to you. Do you know what I'm saying? What else is there where the 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 switch flips so easily between caring and not caring? It's, it's not a thing, is it? Income tax is a little bit like that, I think. Go on, expand. Well, at the risk of being audited, yeah, I suppose. But I guess sort of for 11 and a half months of the year, income tax is a really, really good thing. And I absolutely loathe anybody that tries to persuade me otherwise. Sure, and then. Sure. When self-assessment deadline comes around and you end up paying a huge amount out of your bank account, it feels like less of a good thing. It doesn't feel very satisfying. Right. Well, that's it's kind of the same in the patriot. inverse. So is that, well, is, no, that, because that, I, that's, I actually... That's like a temporal inverse, isn't it? That's a sort of traditional uh, traditional position for the wealthy, isn't it? Uh, I think one thing that we uh, probably do need to talk about... Um, don't want to give your money away to the poor people, do you? I know. Uh, one thing we probably should talk about is... It's a bit like workhouses in the old days. Is how different this <laughs> team is to... a little bit to, like workhouses um, in the old days It's how, how different this team is to the one that played in the World Cup in 2018. Because it's actually, you know, about half of this uh, the starters in this game were the same as the starters from Croatia. And I, it struck me, whilst I was watching something that was interesting, is oh, who, who were the players that featured in, the, in, those, in those World Cup games? I remember them so fondly, but I didn't remember the full lineup. Uh, it turns out Kane, Sterling, Maguire, Stones, and Walker were all starters for Croatia in the semi-final. We also we assume Henderson would be a starter or featuring, uh, but for but for current injury, of course. So that's maybe six of the the starting eleven, uh, potentially seven, depending on the Pickford situation. We're not really sure how that's going to play out. But the other players, um, Ashley Young is gone. Trippier, there is some conversation around as well. Deli Alley obviously hasn't appeared in the squad. And uh, Lingard, who was brought on as a sub in this game. Um, 
so what what interests me about that is uh, the team that was sort of young and exciting and fresh uh, in 2018 now actually has quite a lot of uh, tournament experience, or at least England experience, whilst still being, you know, fairly young and uh, and exciting. Is this the tournament that they come of age, Alex? It's a possibility, isn't it? Um, I mean, you know, Deli Ali is, is not playing because someone like, well, I mean, Spurs former side, but someone like Phil Foden or Mason Mount is taking his place, and, and that's very legitimate. I think also it's it's difficult to look past those players that are still around and see who would necessarily be better than them. Um, I mean, there are arguments, obviously, uh, that Dominic Calvert-Lewin is a, a different type of striker to be used under different circumstances, but it's obvious that Kane is legitimately the best English striker. I think you know, Sterling is part of that wide player conversation that includes people like Jadon Sancho and Jack Grealish and Foden if he plays in that position. But again, Sterling is consistently good and brings a lot of different things. So it feels like this is uh it's a sensible sticking with what's known. It's not it's not a kind of knee jerk, let's go back to what worked in the previous tournament, even though we're overlooking all of these exciting young players. It there are very legitimate reasons for selecting all of them. Yeah, and even with um, you know Maguire and Stones, it's it's obviously fantastic that Stones is back to the form that, that he's in now. But it's quite nice uh, to go into a second tournament knowing, presumably, that when England do play a back four, that will be your two, and when they play a back three, that'll probably just be they'll probably just uh, add Walker to that. There's a fair amount of consistency there, isn't there? And that's from a defensive perspective, that's actually quite that that, that excites me. Yeah, I think it's really important. Um, I mean, obviously, Declan Rice will probably screen in front of that, but the relationships between players on the pitch in the different the areas that they work, so whether that's the right-hand side or the forward line or the central defensive partnership, are, are really, really important. And if they're used to playing with each other, um, they're, you know, they've been playing in a back three previously, but they, they're now getting used to playing in a back four as well because there's quite a good chance that that will be relevant in certain fixtures although I do think Southgate will go back to a back three for some of the harder fixtures you know you you want to develop that fluency and that understanding find that again from that you know what they achieved in in 2018 and and build a partnership and that's that central defensive partnership is sort of the the bedrock of everything else that that goes forwards from it um, yeah. I would chuck the goalkeeper in that as well uh, and I I think Yes, Pickford is better at kicking, but I I still wouldn't select him. I think Pope's been better. I'd probably pick Dean Henderson uh, if he continues to get an extended run of games for United. What's the status with Henderson's injury? Because presumably, if he is available for the tournament, it will he would be the obvious choice alongside Rice. They complement each other fairly well, right? Uh, you would think so. Um, again, it depends what sort of balance he goes for and against Albania it it started off as more of a 4-2-3-1 and then Calvin Phillips was allowed to push forwards and Mount was able to come back a little bit so it morphed into more of a 4-3-3 after half time Henderson works really well on that right hand side one of the big arguments for continuing with him though was the understanding that he has with Trent Alexander-Arnold who looks like he's probably not going to get selected um, but again, Henderson also brings experience, he brings leadership, um, and I think it's important to have figures in the team 
who who do all of that as well as being you know genuinely good at football so I suspect he would do that and then you'd have probably a more aggressive forward looking midfielder on the left hand side which would I suspect quite obviously be Mason Mount whose iPhone is that mine sorry how how dare you? i know how dare <laughs> just, you come to this podcast do you know what normally i'm with your really on top of on. that stuff but um that is disgraceful i, just, uh, I was just yeah. reading a piece while you were talking that says that uh, uh jordan henderson's injury will uh run close towards the end of the season hard to know hard to know if he's going to feature or not. I, th- I think but you anyway. take him in the squad anyway, though, just because he's the kind of character that you would want around there. And, and if there's, you know, England have taken players to major tournaments knowing that they'll only be fit for the second or third game. Yeah. And Henderson's yeah. the kind of guy that you would want around. Get him on the plane. I, I, I don't know. England have done that quite a few times, but it's always been a little bit of a disaster. Obviously, the Rooney situation repeated a couple of times. Jack Wilshire seemed to have a, a free pass to international tournaments for a while. Um, Beckham went as a kind of travelling cheerleader to South Africa. And uh, I listened to an interview with Rob Green where he said that um, Beckham did a good job of consoling him after his mistake against the United States. But it feels like that's a kind of, that's a negative familiarity for England, the idea that you know, if Jordan Henson's able to kind of step onto a Premier League pitch sometime before between now and the end of the season, then he's of value to the squad. I, I don't know. I think I think you want all the bodies, particularly at the end of this season, because it's quite likely that, you know, with a, what's it going to be, maybe two or three week break between the end of the season and the start of the Euros, it's going to be an awful lot of tired muscles, you know, potentially a lot of injuries going through the tournament. I think I want all 23 of my players to be fit and but ready he to wants go and it, actually Seb. play. He wants it though. He does. He he does good passion faces as well. And no doubt at Liverpool, he's a hugely valuable character. But uh, I don't know. I think you have to think you have to have some reassurance over what, what he can do physically before you allow him to get on the plane or train or sure. whatever. Mode I was away on holiday last week. Right. So I missed yeah. all the Trent Alexander-Arnold thing. What, what What's going on? Why is he not playing? The argument is form that, that he's not been that great for Liverpool. Um, of late, which is partly true. I mean, it it's as much an enormous drop off from just how good he was in the two seasons previous. England are also very well stocked with with right backs. There is a bit of inconsistency. Ian Wright highlighted on the ITV coverage that Southgate's quite happy to pick other players who are going through very very poor spells of form, highlighting. You know, the consistency of selecting Pickford, for example, but also Eric Dyer, you know, is another one who hasn't really excelled for his club, but still gets into the squad. It's it's probably as much a reflection of just how strong England are at right back as anything else. So so who is in the squad, presuming that they were going to play a back three, who is playing at wing back? Uh, Trippier. Right. Who's also had a fantastic season. Yeah. Okay. Fucking hell. That seems that seems a bit strong. It's pretty harsh. It's just... I mean, he's the best right-back. He, he is England's best right-back when he's playing well, by quite some distance, well, right? Well, Reese James as well. I mean, Reese James started against San Marino. Um, yeah. It just happens to be a position where England have a lot of very good players of different types and qualities, some of whom simply aren't going to get near the squad. But, I mean, with, with Alexander-Arnold, is Southgate really not going to take him to the European Championships? I don't believe that for a second. He's so, got to go. 
Exactly. And so we were talking earlier about um, defensive continuity and the benefits of that and the value of having Stones and Maguire as a kind of a first choice pairing. I mean, what's really the value of leaving Alexander-Arnold out of this squad for form, yeah. for form reason and then picking him in a month's time as part of the, what, provisional 30? It doesn't it, make any sense at all. It also, I, I don't if, know. If it, that's what's going to happen, though, there is a yeah, very yeah, real I mean, chance that Alexander-Arnold doesn't go to the Euros. I, that would I, I think, be insane I think, to me. Well, yeah, me too. I think there's zero chance of him not going. I, I mean, I, and also, it feels like a, a young player, you're kind of pointing the, at the finger at him for a problem which at Liverpool is club-wide. There aren't many players in that Liverpool side who have performed even to a kind of 7 out of 10 standard this season. You're kind of saying, right, well, you're not a prisoner of what's happening at Liverpool and the kind of the cumulative whatever, the collective, to say that kind of what's happened to him this season deserves dropping internationally. I don't really agree. And also, yeah. I'd say he's actually improved at Liverpool over the last few weeks. He's had a bad season, yeah, but he's had a, prior to the international break, he had a better two or three weeks. I thought it, anyway. it, it doesn't it doesn't make sense to me, but I can also see what the justification is. That's that's the point I'm making. I would still pick him. But... Get him on the plane. Or may I, I don't know, maybe I'd pick Reese James. It's 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 no, tricky, you're, but just, I, I... you're just uh, one of those people who likes to have a, a an alternative opinion. I I, I refuse you. <laughs> You cannot have Reese James over Trent Alexander Arnold in no in no world currently in this world is yeah. that the right decision to make. Sure. But I, I do like Reese James, but uh, you know Trent Alexander Arnold has to be having a four out of ten to uh, to yeah. to be at that. Level. I, I I think I think you take those two and you take Carl Walker because of his versatility, the fact he can yeah. play in those two formations, and then I think you're well covered. Yeah, yeah. As I said. Get him on the plane. How likely are England to actually win the Euros? Because I was looking at the aggregated odds uh, yesterday just to see what the market thinks, the gambling market. And uh, they think, apparently, I don't know if it's just a sort of Google ranking thing because I'm in England, this is what I'm getting. But uh, England and France are favourites to win, sort of joint favourites to win with Belgium Second or third, depending on how you would like to look at that. I, can't, I mean, I guess it surprised me a little bit. But and I know England always have uh, higher odds than they probably should going into a, a tournament or lower odds, however it works, whatever the, the language is. Um, but I guess actually, you know, performed very well. Semi-finalists in uh, the 2018 World Cup have a, have a very strong team that we are discussing. The, you know, the number of right-backs available, for example, is probably a good indicator of how well the team could perform. Um, what are your expectations, uh, Seb? Well, I I can kind of make sense of that, Joe, just because if you look around Europe, there are a lot of really underperforming sides. Spain are having um, a difficult moment, to use football parlance, at a draw against Greece and looked pretty unconvincing against Georgia uh, over the weekend. Yeah. Germany are kind of underwhelming and... If I could understand the language better, I would probably imagine there'd be a pretty fierce debate about that happening. <laughs> a real linguist. Yeah, but there's a lot of loud, angry words being used. I don't know what any of them mean, but it sounds pretty contentious. Uh, Italy are less than convincing. Holland look, uh, I'll be honest, on look absolutely dreadful. They were demolished by Turkey before the weekend. Uh, so England... Get them on the plane. Get them on the plane. England, almost by default, you can make a case for. Belgium, I prefer. I think Belgium are a little bit more sure. balanced. I think they're better. 
um, better goalkeeper, better defence, better midfield. Um, and also you have to imagine that eventually Eden Hazard is going to return to some kind of form and be of value there. Yeah. So, but England are in that conversation. And for once, it doesn't feel so stupid. It doesn't feel like a, just a, a hopelessly patriotic nonsense mm. of an argument. Alex, though, the thing is, right, do you remember the 2018 World Cup? We were together, you and I, and we felt we had our finger on the pulse of the nation. And we knew that there were the lowest expectations for some time. And that felt nice and clear and like fresh air. And now I feel like, actually, the expectations are pretty high again as a result of the strong performance. Um, And in fact, probably... Get the face painted, get the chainmail. Many people think that, you know, if I have the chainmail on, we could actually win. Uh, Do you remember those heady days of low expectation when everybody thought England were just fucked? That was fun. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I, I think... I preferred that. I think there's an interesting conversation around this because the way that Southgate has gone about this World Cup qualification set of fixtures has been quite pragmatic and we're not shoehorning a load of really exciting young attacking players into the side and being all gung-ho and everything which would actually be quite fun to see but I I think yeah I think the the plus side to being a bit more conservative and a bit more dull is that it probably serves to keep expectations a little bit lower it's also Um, tournament football baby well yeah it is definitely tournament football and tournament football is about pragmatism so I think, you know, there's a world in which you play Grealish and Foden and Sterling and Mount and it's Sancho. It's hugely exciting and, and England mm. then probably lose to a very canny Belgian side in the semi-finals or something. Um, this feels like a more prosaic but intelligent way to go about things. Um, I, I mean, I think also there are other teams in that I agree with Seb about the Netherlands um Germany so on I you know I think Italy are okay um I think Croatia are still probably quite a good side Turkey are maybe a you know a dark horse to look out Turkey for so is strangely good they've, yeah um, it's they've had not a real resurgence it it's very very difficult you can't I think with tournament football you can't just look at who the best sides are on paper and go well they're the ones that'll go through because it's it kind of gets into a crapshoot at the end doesn't it so but for expectations you can right and this is the thing for the way I look at it is that we're in a different temper expectations Joe to build (laughs) I know you are I know you are but but the reality is right all we can do England will win It'll be amazing. <laughs> well, this is it. It'll you be and the I best summer conduits. of our lives. Yeah. We're just, I, we're just, feel we're feeling something. the flow of the they're nation. Oh, and, and a tournament by Didier but, Deschamps team at some point. You know, <laughs> but just... we're in a different part of the cycle now. And the point I'm making is that two years ago, the expectations were, you know, rock bottom for a number of reasons. One, England only ever disappoint you. That's the main one. Uh, and, you know, it's a bit like being in a relationship where you're ground down over a decade uh, and then you come to expect pain and horror. That's You've just used this analogy ordinary. before. I don't know what you're talking about. And really number worried. two, uh, uh, no. <laughs> and number two, um, Gareth Southgate. You know, Gareth Southgate. Uh, and, you know, I love him and his tight little waistcoats. But two years ago, before any of the World Cup success, Gareth Southgate was synonymous with England failure, right? That's just true. Uh, the way that people viewed him was uh, in, in this country was uh, re- revolved around that penalty miss 
and uh, it's just a, it's just a kind of just a kind of fact, right? And all of these things also a new, new new manager, new relationships, new players, lots of young players that put us at the beginning of the cycle. Did extremely well, semi-finals, right? Now two years later, we're at the Euros. We've got a team which is kind of not yet at its peak, but is 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 hitting there. I imagine the average age is probably around twenty five, twenty six, something like that. That's a, that's a guess. Uh, the expectation, presumably this season, this this season, this summer, is to win. And anything less than maybe getting to the final probably will feel like a disappointment because Gareth Southgate has now been in the job for a number of years, because we have seen how well they did last time, because they're not so young anymore, because it's not an unknown quantity, and because now, crucially, England don't always just disappoint. We've had a we've had an Indian summer, yeah? We had a I felt that things were back on track and maybe it was right that we were married and we bought this place together and you know that you understand what I'm saying? I, I, I mean, are England crushing currently... bitter disappointment coming? That's what I'm saying. No, I, 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 I would say it's reasonable to suggest that England are in the four or five best teams in Europe at the moment. Yeah. yeah. That doesn't necessarily translate to getting into the final four at the Euros. No, no. There's a um at St George's Park. There is a clock which is ticking down to the 2022 World Cup in Qatar, which is you know, symbolises obviously England's ambition to win the tournament. So you have to believe that internally with a kind of, um, and I know yeah. a lot of this stuff is, is attached to the England DNA movement of the last decade, but still the aim is very much to win these tournaments, not just to go, well, we had a good quarterfinal run or, you know, we lost valiantly on penalties in the semifinal. It's, they, they are there to win. All this talent that's been stocked up and developed it's being aimed at these next two tournaments. This is the cycle that England have been targeting for a really long time. And when did that cycle start, Seb? Oof, it's about 10 years now, maybe nine years. Um, yeah. So it's been a long time. Oh, I'm getting excited. I am actually getting excited. Now, maybe we just need to have this chat before the Albania game, and I might have enjoyed it. Uh, Grealish, Jack Grealish. I don't really understand. Has he, has he been selected for the squad at all, Seb? Yeah, he, he has done. He's just injured at the moment, so not available. Um, he hasn't been playing yes. for Villa. Obviously, he came off the last international break with his stock higher than it ever has been before, Gareth Southgate. Previously, I mean, um, you don't pay attention to international football between tournaments, but you remember the debate and the kind of Southgate's hesitancy around Grealish. That seems to have gone. Um, he seems to have been, he seems to be sort of by national consensus, the one player that everybody wants on the pitch. He's, so, but he's got um, to go, right? He's got to play, yeah? Yeah, without question. I mean, I, there's a little bit of me which thinks that come tournament time and come the need for, as Alex mentioned, pragmatism, Southgate loses his nerve a little bit around Grealish, I think, uh... and uses him as an impact player. I think that'd be a mistake. Grealish is a very, he's a very original sort of player. There aren't yeah. very many of him, regardless of where you place him in the kind of the hierarchy of world footballers. He's someone that does stuff on a pitch. Well, I can I say where, also, where would you like, put uh, him though, Seb? Uh, but I, I was just going to answer that question myself, if, if I may, because I, and you know I love Marcus Rashford, Yeah. but I would play him on the left. Yeah, well, I think I agree. I, I, I don't really believe in the kind of the binary binary relationship between Mason Mount and Jack Grealish. I think that's a fallacy. Um, I think I would like Mount at the tip of my midfield, Grealish off the left, Rashford off, Rashford off the right with Kane at centre forward. and You wouldn't play Sancho? Well, I would, but he's been injured. Uh, and he's got a sort of semi-serious injury at the moment, and I don't. I need right, to see his right. fitness first. But I would, I would say that him and Rashford are competing for the same place. Rashford will not want to hear that he's competing for the right forward position. <laughs> That's certainly not his favourite spot. 
I understand. I just think that when you have someone, I, I think Rashford is a very adaptable player. I think he's pretty good off the right. I prefer him sort of, I think I prefer him as a, from the left-hand side. I think he's slightly yeah. better there, but he's been able to play that role for England in the past and he's done a pretty good job of it. So uh, no Sterling? At the moment, no, I don't think so. Well, big decisions. But I, I just, way no, I, I, I don't, is, that, is that really a snub? Just because I think, I, I like Raheem Sterling. I just think that... I just like to respond to people's serious claims with noises that make it sound like it's a snap. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, you I, didn't say that. Go on. I, I, just, I, I, I think Grealish should make it a stronger case for himself in that position, that's all. I agree. I think he's a standout. I think he's, I think he's uh, first name on the team sheet for me after Harry Kane, probably, because Harry Kane's name is cemented on there. He's not the first name on the team sheet after Kane. The I think he is. He's exciting. He's exciting. He, he is What's exciting. wrong with you? My 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 sole concern is that um, is this a concern of your soul or is this your only concern? I don't I don't believe in souls. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah. That that there's a a quite a real chance if you play Grealish off the left, Mount as the left sided central midfielder, and have Harry Kane, you get too many players clustering in one position. I think well, Kane drop Mount. Kane dropping. Well, yeah, but if you drop Mount, then who gives that progression from midfield? Steven Gerrard. <laughs> Get him on the plane. I just i i a can box to i box can see to like Carlton Palmer maybe. Yeah, just, yeah. I can see a world in which England end up kind of having lots and lots of players that are really good at doing stuff just before the edge of the penalty area. Yeah, and then yeah. don't have people pushing up inside. Nothing anyway. worse than that. It's like watching bad Spurs under under Pochettino, wasn't it? Just everyone's outside the box. Yeah, That's and there's lots of intricacy and now, lots of. I mean, I, I you know, I, I I agree that Grealish does something jazzy and different, and I think he does have that. I I just think that there needs to be a real balance in terms of of how you fit pieces around him to get the best from him. Listen, more importantly, though, you've got to have the sex symbol at the international tournament. You've got to have that je ne sais quoi, and that's what Jack Grealish brings. Yeah, You've got to have, in yeah. 15 years' time, you've got to be providing material for the archival documentary makers it's, in 15 years' time. It's the, the rolled-down socks and the hair flicks. Yeah, I, I exactly. Get it. I get it's it. very that, important to my enjoyment That hair would look really, really good when you know England have had a disappointing exit and his hair is all forlorn and you know, he just yeah. looks sad. That, that he, he'd, be, he'd make a great poster. For that, yeah, it it really will. Plus, if he uh, if he does become a you know incredibly uh, successful best player in the world type player, not obviously he's not going to become the best player in the world, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, they will need that footage to sort of play alongside uh, David Beckham and his haircuts, and everyone everyone will love that, you know. And so that's the most important thing here. Anyway, we'll be back after this uh, short break to talk about Norway, a country in the north of Europe. <laughs> Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. 
Head over to MichelobeUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Norway. Norway demonstrated. They did a demonstration. Norway's national team players staged a demonstration ahead of their... Seb, we've talked about this before, man. If you click around on the Google plan, loads and loads and loads, when I'm reading, all I see is your name just moving around my screen. I was actually just scrolling down the Google Doc so I could see the full you Norway section. You clicked eight times. I, I saw your name. I, 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 I saw your name segment. as well, Seb. I saw it. You but can't get away. You, you need to understand that your actions have implications. Yeah, they cause. <laughs> they cause. <laughs> they this they is cause not a no consequence world. <laughs> no, stop affecting me. Norway's national team players staged a demonstration ahead of their recent World Cup qualifier, protesting human rights violations in Qatar by wearing T-shirts with the slogan "Human Rights" on and off the pitch. And there have also been discussions within the country about whether the team should actually boycott the tournament. Discuss. Uh, who wants to go first? It, it started. I can't remember when. Maybe like a month or three weeks ago. Tromso, which is a, a club in the very north of Norway. Um, signed a, an open letter from their squad uh, saying that that it should be boycotted, and a, a couple of other Norwegian club sides have followed suit. And I think that's been the impetus for the Norwegian national team to take a relatively, I don't want to say distant stance because it's still a stance, but it's it's not a direct kind of you know in your face. It's it's a more subtle form of protest than than the letters that were signed by the club sides but yeah it's a good thing so okay i mean careful how i make this point because i don't want it to be misinterpreted but since the world cup was awarded um six and a half thousand migrant workers have died in construction projects relating to the world cup next year um that's according to a report in the guardian at the end of last month um so my point is um i it's not an, a a point relating to noise protests it just feels quite late in the day for me oh it's very yeah i think that's my main take like I, I like seeing um football players show responsibility and i like fa's um taking action like this and you know i commend Norway for that but it feels like football needed to become um football needed to switch into activist mode a long long time ago um and you know, any, yeah, the time to protest human... was after the after the bid, right? I mean, well, this is the thing: like any 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 human life is precious, and any reform is welcome and necessary and good. And that's I'm not saying otherwise. I just mean that I was expecting this a long time ago. That's all. The context may be that because of uh, the Black Lives Matter movement and the involvement of various sports stars, not just in football, but also particularly in the NBA, with that. I think there's been a, a kind of a, a ground swell in the last year or so of sports stars taking a moral stance on issues. And so maybe prior to, to BLM, it, it, it felt like there wasn't necessarily the example of that having been done and done effectively. And maybe that's why players were reticent to express those opinions. No, that's true. I mean, my take on it is that the the you know you're right. I think seeing footballers uh, socially and politically engaged is a positive thing. Uh, you would hope that it would sort of extend further to to club football too. And I wonder. Seb wrote uh, a good example here in the or a good question here in the plan, which uh, relates to uh, to Holland, who we saw wearing one of the t-shirts. But what if Holland does sign for Manchester City or PSG, for example? 
how far removed are they from from responsibility in those sorts of scenarios? It does complicate things, and you can see why footballers particularly struggle to discuss it. The, the other thing I would like to say is that I think we focus a lot on the number of people who have died, which is obviously a very important number. Reality, too, is that many people who are still alive feel the pangs of uh, kafala or the sponsorship system which is used in the in the middle east across across the region um not just in qatar but also in the uae and in saudi arabia and in oman and yemen and these other places too well the broad strokes here are that um the system works whereby migrants are only allowed to come and work in the country if they're sponsored by a private company or an or an individual, right? So what happens is that ninety percent of the population of Qatar are migrant workers. They all exist in the country on the basis of the fact that they are sponsored by their employer to work there. And prior to last August, when there were some changes to the laws, uh, they couldn't leave that employment. Many employers take passports, so you can't just exit the country if you want to. You have to fulfill your contract so you don't have the same kind of ability as we do here in the UK, for example, to just leave your job if you want to. Obviously, you work your notice period or whatever. Uh, and um, many in many scenarios, the the terms that you agreed when you left your you know your home country and travelled to one of these countries to work are not the terms that are presented when you actually arrive. Um, it's a scam. The laws and the kafala system allows allows private companies to exploit employees. And this is this is the this is the situation, right? So last August there was um, what has been described as significant labour changes, uh, legal changes, by the Qatari government to the system. Uh, there were a lot of positive changes, or a lot of positive proposed reforms that came as a result of this. The main one being that you could change jobs. <laughs> Imagine that, right? <laughs> so without requiring your employer's permission to go and get a new job, you could do that. Uh, and there are, you know, examples of people having successfully done that. Unfortunately, there are many more examples of people being intimidated by their employers, exploited, people being deported, people being arrested. Basically, the government have tried to change the law. Private business has not responded well to that. And we, we know uh, from any country that there there is uh, often a delay associated with massive uh, law changes like this. To what extent the government of the country and the leaders of the country actually want those changes to occur and the way that the judicial system is set up to deal with it is is really unclear. And I think that's, um, that's what many uh, Western charitable bodies will have a problem with too. Having said all of this, right, however however much the reforms have actually made a difference, there is a guarantee here that the reform only exists because the World Cup is taking place in Qatar, right? The, this, the Qatar was the first country in the region to make any reforms uh, in this, in this uh, scenario. So we talk about other countries like Saudi Arabia and the UAE as well. Obviously, um, the, uh, a member of the royal family, the UAE, owns Manchester City, the, the Qatari royals own uh, PSG. Manchester City's owners effectively don't allow people, uh, migrant workers who move to their country to work to change jobs without asking permission of their employer. That's it's totally, totally unacceptable. It's a total infringement on human rights. There's no world in which that is okay. We, we talk about that sometimes when it comes to club football. But uh, Qatar, this lesser known country prior to the World Cup bid, uh, with uh, in some cases more stringent kafala laws, more stringent uh, scenarios for uh, migrant workers working there, has has made major reforms. Again, we can argue about how um, how significant they've they've actually been in terms of their uh, application. Has made major reforms, 
purely as a result of the World Cup being there and uh, and have done this first in line in, in, in this region. And it really brings to heart the sort of central question of this, which is a question of uh, international cooperation, right? Is the best aim here when trying to, uh, you know, make changes to uh, uh, systems of law and culture which are sort of bedded into places for, you know, reasons for a very, very long time, is the best uh, approach to that to be internationally cooperative or is it to impose sanctions on places? And i.e. in this scenario would be to prevent the World Cup taking place there, to take the World Cup away from taking place in Qatar, where I have no doubt that many of the citizens of Qatar, uh, you know, love football and will be overjoyed that the tournament is, is taking place there. I don't know anymore. Three years ago, uh, I thought it was clear cut and black and white and they couldn't have it and it was bullshit and it was totally unacceptable and uh, it was it was the wrong thing to do. There was nothing that would change my mind. And now I don't know that I think that anymore. <laughs> I'm trying to think about what the what the best means of moving forwards is in the real world. There's a flip side to that though, which is which is Russia, who prior to 2018 made lots of good noises about changing stuff and and said they would, you know, open up and liberalize and and is arguably now worse than it was before in terms of its international relations in terms of how it's behaving as a global citizen. So I I get all of those points that you make. I just am very very uh suspicious around the long-term intentions of of any country that moves partly away from a system that is an abuse of human rights in order that they look okay on the world stage for a period of time. There's nothing to stop them going back on that. Well, two things. Firstly, Gian Infantino, president of FIFA, of course, addressed this a couple of days ago. He said um, he was asked about the role of human rights in World Cup bidding. He made an incredible remark about, which started off as, say, as him saying, yes, human rights should absolutely be part of the World Cup bidding process. And then his sentence took a big left turn when he started saying, on the other hand, though, which I just had a hard time kind of rationalizing yeah. because you either do or you don't. I accept the kind of the, I don't know if I accept, but I understand the argument which says that you have to bring external pressure. And one of the things that helps bring external pressure is the awarding of a World Cup. However, I completely reject the idea that World Cups benefit native populations or are staged for the for their benefit because they're just countless examples now where tournaments are held in countries where the games are ring-fenced local traders local populations are either prevented from capitalizing on the tournament's arrival or um, they're priced out of the experience that happened in south africa it happened in brazil i'm sure it would have happened in russia um, for multiple reports that it has done i'm not going to prejudge the qatar tournament we don't know yet but this is not a new thing. I mean, it was the argument for against the um, was one of the arguments against the uh, Europa League final between Arsenal and Chelsea being held in Azerbaijan. It was the same situation. Like you, you're selling tickets for huge amounts of money, which the local population couldn't afford to buy. So you're not doing it to uh, to satiate the uh, local love of football. That's just that's FIFA speak bollocks, and it always has been. So. There just has to be a bit more truth about why tournaments go to places and why allowances are made for um, subpar human rights or labor conditions. You just have to be, you have to have some kind of moral consistency with this. Is, well, that, is what that's, I'd say. that's why in, in the podcast that we had, Seb, when Joe was on holiday, I 
one of my suggestions for international football was this sort of external independent ombudsman that would yeah that was a really good idea that would yeah. regular you know and and c conduct an assessment and it, it could be the the united nations commission for human rights it could be somebody else but but then there needs to be somebody that looks at these things and says well unless you start doing this stuff ahead of time you're not actually even going to be considered for the bidding process because yeah. this system that you use here is is unlawful or this uh minority population is being oppressed or whatever it is and and it, it irrespective of the argument about progress the simple fact is that that the amount of money that a, a host nation generates for a certain proportion of that country the the wealthy elite is massively massively advantageous and and is more of a reward for that group than any potential progress could be for a minority group or somebody suffering human rights abuses and that just isn't fair and it isn't right yeah it's a good idea don't misunderstand me i think the scenario i'm discussing is the one where we are a year away from the tournament now taking place right and trying to take what positives out of it we can. One of which is that after the uh, labour law changes last uh, last August, I'm reading um, 78,000 successful job transfers in the final quarter of the year. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. And, and it doesn't excuse all of the bad things. And it doesn't it doesn't mean that the World Cup should be taking place in Qatar. And it doesn't forgive. Uh, uh, all the deaths that have occurred in building the infrastructure for the World Cup and it doesn't forgive the fact that this uh, archaic uh, system is even in use at all. It doesn't do any of those things but it is still 78,000 people who have been freed from one bad situation theoretically I believe as a direct result of international attention due to the World Cup uh, and that's just a positive that I would like to try and take out of a terrible shitty situation. That that's it's definitely a positive. There's there's also nothing to say that they won't reverse it once the World Cup's finished. The vast majority of fans are quite understandably going to engage with the tournament. Like, if people are willing to um, to boycott it, to um, do something else for four weeks, okay, that's that's terrific, and you know I, I admire that kind of conviction. But fans should not have to make that decision. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 
that's the end now. And I bet Seb's disappointed that you wrote all this stuff about all these minnow countries. And we're not going to talk about any of them. Maybe we can talk about them on Friday's podcast. Maybe we can do that, Seb. Would that make you happy, Seb? I'd, maybe. I, do you know I, what? You've I certainly didn't least, get up early to do that reading. At least 250 words here about Luxembourg. <laughs> when I saw that, I thought, <laughs> what the fuck has he done? I've only been away for one week. What's he doing? But anyway, listen, don't worry. It, it, it's, it, I think maybe what was happening was you were preparing for a podcast where I didn't repeatedly interrupt both you and Alex. Uh, so you did the right thing, but you forgot that we didn't need, we didn't need that much. Uh, but uh, are you happy to have me back? Yeah? Yeah. yeah. Nice change of pace. Sure, a nice change of pace. <laughs> anyway, we'll be back next uh, on Friday to discuss... There's more fucking international football, isn't there? Fuck's sake. I, I, I had that exact reaction. Last night, I, I thought, oh, that's England's second game. Brilliant, it's over. Yeah, they're playing on and Wednesday. Then, it's their third game. Wednesday, I thought, for fuck's sake, another three. game. Yeah. Three in ten days. Anyway, what we might do is just like focus it on whatever's coming up at the weekend or something, or talk about something else entirely. Yes, uh, something non-football related, I reckon. Just, yeah. just a chat. <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe we'll just have a chat. Uh, anyway, we'll be back on Friday to do whatever that is. And, um, and I'll tell you what we should do. We should do a questions and answers one. Hey, that's quite a good idea. Oh, that yeah. is a good Let's one. Let's do that. Yeah. All right, uh, that. we will put out a tweet uh, 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 th- when this podcast is released. So on the Tuesday, we'll put out a tweet and a, and a YouTube um, uh, community post asking for questions. If you want to ask us something, please don't ask us anything about international football. Uh, but uh, if you ask us something about other f- types of football, we will answer your questions on Friday's episode. And that'll be a good bit of fun for all of us. Hurrah! Huzzah! Yes? Yes. yes. Hooray. Okay, yeah. thank you. So much right. fun. Uh, au revoir, Tipos. Goodbye. Athletic.